welcome to the 70th episode of the NoDB Podcast. Today's guest is Randy Warner. Randy Warner is the Chief Information Officer of Hyperion Partners, a full-service development master agent specializing in telecommunications. He got his start selling for Sprint. He sold to retail locations and eventually transitioned to B2B sales. He worked as a sales director for Samsung. He enrolled in a few classes but realized college wasn't for him. He always made sure to out-hustle his college degree counterparts to prove himself. He utilized his relationships to gain opportunities to get jobs that required bachelor's degree. He currently partners with large tele companies and has helped grow the company to the 165 employees that they have today. Listen to follow Randy's journey. Visit nodegree.com to start your journey. Subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash nodegree. Every contribution is appreciated. Remember, this show wouldn't be possible without you. Let's get this show started. Hello, welcome to another episode of the No Degree Podcast. Today I have Randy Warner. Do you mind giving a brief introduction of yourself? Sure. I mean, that's a, kind of a loaded question, right? I could go a number of directions with that. Um, I guess you could say I'm a, a generalist. I you typically like to use that term to, um, to define myself. But uh, primarily, I've been working in technology, um, specifically mobile technology, software applications, and things like that for about the last 20 years. Uh, today, I have the, uh, the privilege and the pleasure of being the CIO of Hyperion Partners. Hyperion is a mobile telecom master agent, um, specifically working with uh, mid-sized enterprise customers and the suppliers or, or mobile device carriers out there, like not Sprint, T-Mobile, AT&T, uh, Verizon, uh, and then throughout North America as well. So you've had an interesting career. Let's kind of take it back to high school. How was high school like for you and what did you want to be in high school? I went to a great high school and a bunch of different options in terms of, you know, what we could get exposed to. I always liked sports. And so I fell in love with sports medicine. I had a chance to take a, a sports medicine class my junior and senior year in high school. Out of high school, I said I was going to be a doctor. And um, I wanted to be specifically my dream was that I wanted to be team physician for a professional sports team. The role that I thought that I needed was to be an orthopedic surgeon. So out of high school, that's what I wanted to pursue. I wanted to go to med school and become an orthopedic surgeon. Did you end up going to college? I was enrolled in college. But enrolling and going are two different things, right? So going requires action, right? Like I had to get out of bed in the morning and then go to class and, and things like that. I went to a few classes. Uh, so I'll, I'll age myself here, right? So I, I graduated high school in 2000. So, because um, it's interesting, like you have these conversations and there's the, uh, I'll call it like the, the folks that remember 9-11 and then the folks that, you know, that don't remember 9-11. I, right? So, you know, I remember I was in fifth grade. You were fifth grade? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. So I think a lot of, not a lot, but some of my decision for what I was going to do was influenced by that event, right? So that event happened my third semester that I was enrolled in school, right, in, in, in college. And I was enrolled for three semesters. I went to some classes. The other half of the time I was partying and having a good time. That event happened. And I really, like many of us, stepped back and just kind of evaluated what we wanted to do and where we wanted to go and what we wanted to be and and a whole host of things for whatever reason. I probably became honest with myself 
medical school wasn't what I wanted to do. I decided that if I wasn't 100% sold on it, then I probably shouldn't pursue going to school for the next 12 years because that's really what I was signing up for. Right? I was signing up for undergrad, graduate, internship, residency, potentially a fellowship, all, all of those things, right? For 12 years of school. And so I knew that I wasn't 100% sold on it. So what I thought was take a break, right? Three semesters in, this was December of 2001. I decided that I was going to take a break and um, I gave myself an ultimatum. I had two options. I said I was either going to get a job or I was going to join the Marine Corps. And if I didn't have a job by the end of January of 2002, then I was going to enlist. And on January 28th of 2002, I was offered a job. So I got a job three days shy of becoming a Marine. What job were you offered? I'm going to date myself again here. I grew up and was living still at the time in Tucson, Arizona. And America Online had a heavy presence in Tucson, Arizona. I remember those days. So do you, right? Did you go to Blockbuster growing up too or no? Well, my parents didn't take me, but I remember like wanting, you know, buying like a tape here and there. And I was happy when my dad bought me Toy Story. And yeah, yeah. So I remember those days. Okay, perfect. So the reason I bring up Blockbuster is because Blockbuster is one of the places that you could go and get the CD for 30 free days of AOL, right? And um, that's actually how I got introduced to sales because the job that I was offered was in what they called their saves department or basically retention. And so I was taking inbound phone calls in a call center environment and trying to convince people to keep their America online service, right? So this is dial up, right? It was like $23 and 95 cents a month on your modem. And that was the job that I got. So I was working full time. I didn't really care that that's what I was doing. I, just, I wasn't in school. I still thought I was taking a break. I thought ultimately I would go back. And uh, so that's how I got introduced to sales. I did that for a year. Yeah. Now, what came next after that? And that was like, you know, baptism by fire from a sales perspective, but it was good. I enjoyed it. I met my wife there. So we got that to, that to come out of it. The guy that I worked with there left and went to work at a Sprint retail store. So this is like early in the wireless industry still, right? Um, there were still, you've looked at a coverage map. There was still parts of the country that like wireless carriers didn't exist. So like Verizon didn't exist. T-Mobile didn't exist. I think AT&T existed at the time. And Sprint was, uh, was just coming out with what they called their Sprint PCS brand. So this is when the wireless industry was really still starting, right? So Verizon didn't exist at the time. Like to think that Verizon didn't exist, right? There's people that don't even remember that. But Verizon didn't exist at the time. T-Mobile didn't exist at the time. And this was still like sprint like a little red logo. And you'd go into a store and you would have to pick like the number of minutes that you wanted for your plan and and all of that kind of stuff. I remember the Nextels, like the Nextels, they were hot with the with the ringtones and all that stuff. Yeah, so uh, I had a friend uh, that was working at uh, America Online at the time who left and, and went to work at this new Sprint store that had opened up. And uh, at the time, like I was saying, there is not, uh, there weren't wireless carriers as we know them today. So Verizon didn't exist, T-Mobile didn't exist, Sprint still had a red logo. 
for people that remember a red logo, who I think was actually copyrighted or trademarked or whatever you do with an actual tone. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So and then and it, obviously there was Nextel, right? And there was a, a merger, right? Some people can say failed, some people can say success, whatever, right? I was around for that. But uh, yeah, so I got started in the wireless industry in 2003, working for Sprint in a retail store, and they were expanding their presence where I lived. They were going to be opening a new store, and that's what I got hired for. I got hired for this new store. So I had a chance to uh, open a new store and be part of that. And uh, I think I got promoted like right after the store opened or right before the store opened or something happened like that. But uh, I mean, all they really did was put the word senior in front of my title and made me feel a little bit important. So yeah, so that's um, that's how I got started. And I just like kept working full time there and you know, began to look for other opportunities to uh, take on different and, and new and new and exciting roles. So what was the next challenge? When I feel complacent, I want like the next challenge, if you will. And that usually sets in about um, the two to three year mark with a role for me. And so by the time I've kind of started figuring out that role and getting better and better at that role, I want to take on whatever that next challenge is. And that's just my mentality. So yeah, so I'm at the, uh, I'm working at the, at a sprint store and, uh, I thought I'd leave the industry. So I, I took a, a short stint away from the industry, actually selling, uh, online advertising in the like, uh, mid 2000s, but online advertising was still a relatively new thing in even 2005. So, so that was short lived and I quickly got sucked back into the wireless industry. It's a bit magnetic like that and nothing moves quite as fast as the wireless industry, right? It's always evolving. I mean, I came into the industry literally like right before or right after I joined, like the first camera phone came to market. Not smartphone, right? Like literally like it was a flip phone that had a camera. And there was another phone I remember uh, the Samsung put out called the N400. And it had an adapter. Like you literally connected a camera to the bottom of this thing to be able to take pictures. So anyways, so yeah, I just, I kind of progressed in that industry. I came back in and started working with national retailers like Best Buy and Radio Shack and um, Costco, Sam's Club, basically people that sold a Sprint service, but weren't Sprint stores. I came back and, and started supporting those types of retailers. Did that for a couple of years and then uh, transitioned into a role where I was uh, responsible for B2B sales and then progressed through through those ranks for five, five years or so before I left Arizona and, and, uh, and moved out of the state. Sold everything from small mom and pops some public sector stuff, selling to cities and governments and federal government and then big enterprise customers as well. What'd you learn during these type of sales job? I love sales in general. Sales is really just a people game. If you, if you really boil it down to it, sales is really just about helping people. If you can identify and, and really nail down and do a really great job of understanding exactly what that customer needs and you have a solution for that need, that right there is the epitome of a great sale. Learning isn't something that, to me, is is fixed, right, or has a definitive end to it. So I continually kind of challenge myself to learn something new. It's kind of been required for relevancy. So a lot of the position that I operated from for a long time in my career was from a position of of almost from de- of defensiveness. I felt like. 
I had to prove myself more than the person that did have a degree. So I always tried to like out hustle and outsell the people that did to kind of prove myself. I felt like I had to prove myself for a really long time. Yeah. Did ever come a time where the lack of degree held you back? Like did they ever ask about the degree or you couldn't get a promotion because you didn't have a degree? Not that I like outwardly know of, right? That's not to say that I, you know, pursued a role. Here's the funny thing, right? Literally every job that I've had up until the work that I've been doing for like the last five years, but every job that I've had before that, if you look at the job description, it said bachelor's degree required. Every job I've had. And so it's just a way to weed people out. But if I also look back, most of the jobs that I've held, I've also entered into through a relationship as well. I knew somebody or I knew somebody who knew somebody, right? And so there's just this networking component that was also required as well. But nobody has told me, no, you cannot have this job because you don't have a degree. That's good to know because I know a lot of people, right? They just don't apply because it says bachelor's degree required. And I tell them, if you can do the job, just apply. If you don't get it, you don't get it. But you never know. And then sometimes they don't even properly check. And then you're kind of there and they're like, wow, Randy, you have the experience that we need. That's not going to stop us from hiring you. I used to have it on my LinkedIn profile. I would have the university that I attended. I had it there, right? And I had the years that I was enrolled there. It just never said like that I didn't get a degree or I did not get a degree. Probably it was maybe three or four years ago. I pulled it down. I just completely removed it. I honestly, I felt like, like there was a lack of authenticity there. I was beyond a point where I felt like I needed that to kind of masquerade the fact that I didn't have a degree. No, I mean, look, you've obviously are very successful even without it. So, you know, you're definitely doing the right things. And you still got things that you're probably still going to accomplish and, you know, probably still going to do. So, you know, I'm really excited about that. Now, what came next? You kind of worked at this company for some time. You you got good result. What came next? Yeah, so I, um, my family and I relocated to the, the middle of the United States. We moved to Kansas City. And uh, again, I left the industry again. I thought that it was okay and it was time. And so for, I think it was right around nine months for, well, for, uh, for, for the first six months, I pursued a career with a company called Granger or WW Granger. They're selling, um, let's see, what do they call it? They call their an MRO supplier, like materials, something, something. Anyways, I don't even remember. That's how much I loved it. So I sold the biggest deal I ever closed literally was I sold $40,000 with the toilet paper. Wow, that's serious. Right? How much toilet paper is that? Like, Oh, pallets, man. Pallets and pallets and pallets. Basically, it was a contract to provide toilet paper for this manufacturing facility where they make cheeses. Six months in, though, it was, wasn't for me. Again, I, it doesn't move fast enough. The, there's not something that evolves. The technology wasn't there to keep me excited. So I started looking to get back in the industry. And a relatively new manufacturer, or excuse me, device manufacturer was entering the U.S. market. And they were looking for sales folks to really build up their presence and, and drive sales through Sprint as a carrier at the time. I joined with them, I think it was 2000 and 
2013, uh, worked with them for about a year and operated as a, a regional sales director. I covered a swath of the country working with specifically with sprint sales teams to drive sales through their specific channels. So did that. And then, um, we kind of entered a period of time where it was becoming apparent the volume of sales due to nobody's fault was really going to hit a bit of a lull back to the concept of networking. I reached out because the industry is really small. As big as it is, most people stay. And if you're in it for a while, you know, a lot of people it's, it's, not it's not even six degrees of Kevin Bacon. It's like three degrees of like somebody else, right? So I reached out to uh, a friend of mine uh, who was working for Samsung at the time. Sure enough, he's like, your timing couldn't be better. We're actually building up our team here in the U.S. to specifically focus on the business sales side of things. And we're going to be looking for somebody in the Midwest. Again, I was living in Kansas City at the time. So... 30, 45 days, all of a sudden I had an offer to, to go work for Samsung. So I went from, you know, small company of maybe like 80 people to this just big global behemoth. And I'd worked for big companies before, obviously working for Sprint, but uh, Samsung was probably, yeah, Samsung's the only global company that I worked for. So that was interesting. And um, it was uh, January of, of uh, 2014. I joined Joined Samsung and I was there until August of 2016. Similar to rule that I had with uh, with this smaller manufacturer called Sonom in driving sales of, of hardware through the different channels at Sprint, specifically working with their enterprise sales teams. So then after that, that's when you kind of went that's off on your own. That's when things got interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, tell me about that. I got fired. Oh, why? I still don't know. Oh, man, that sucks. I can tell you why they told me. It's, sometimes it's a lie, though. Yeah, I have. A, I put my own twist on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, let's hear it. Probably for the first three. So I was fired in August of sixteen, just over five years ago. And for the first part of sixteen, uh, we had had a just a nasty transition of leadership in the time that I was at Samsung. I think in the two and a half years that I was there, we had, I think it was four directors, if you will. We were absent a director for like the eight months before I got let go. I actually was almost serving in an interim capacity. And I applied for that role. And they ended up hiring somebody from the outside. So he comes in and I'd already been doing the job. I was set in all the meetings he was going to have to sit in. I interfaced with all the partners he was going to have to interface with. And he came in. And I let him know. I said, Hey, I've been doing this. I'm happy to help you get acclimated, whatever the case may be. You know, side note, like personal life, I had already been, I will say, reorienting my priorities. So I used to be super like work, 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 work. And life events happen and I reprioritize what's important to me. And at the time, work's still important, still happy with what I'm doing, but I will choose family over work any day of the week, if you will. So he comes in and there was just some conflict there, right? Um, anything that I would say was never really received well. Ideas that I had didn't land correctly. And um, there was just never any, 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 there wasn't specifically bad blood per se, but it just wasn't good. 
if you will. And sure enough, it was a Friday, I think it was August, August 15th, August 25th, something like that. There was a five in there. I know that he had set up a, basically set up a one-on-one for us, right? Which wasn't uncommon, but um, Friday afternoon was a little interesting time. I'd work from home part of the time, go into the office part of the time. And so I go into the office on this Friday afternoon and we're supposed to meet in this conference room. I had just this really uneasy feeling about it for like the month prior. I would tell my wife, I'm like, I'm just not feeling good about, about him. And I feel like, I feel like I'm going to get fired. I've never been fired in my life. So I didn't necessarily know what the feeling felt like, but I just didn't have a good feeling about it. I thought I was going to get fired. You know, he schedules this one-on-one. I walk into the building. I go past security and he tells me, you know, we're in this conference room, which that's not abnormal. So I walk into the conference room and a woman from HR is there. I knew right then and there, I was like, oh, this is really going to happen. And I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know what to do. All that he said was, Randy, you are no longer a suitable fit for the role. And then I'm handed a, you know, a packet of papers and if I sign the papers, I get a little bit of money. If I don't sign the papers, I can try to sue them. You know, trying to sue a company like that is not going to get me anywhere. Yeah, they'll eat you up in legal fees. Yeah, exactly. And they didn't even like let me go back and get my stuff. Like literally like they went and put my stuff in boxes and brought it out to me. And it was like, I didn't do anything wrong here. Like I didn't share like company secrets or steal money or something like that. You don't got to walk me out like I'm a criminal here. Uh, they packed your stuff already. Yeah, that was August of August 2016. I got fired. Eventually, I've, I've come to interpret the fact that I'm no longer a suitable fit for the role to be a positive thing, thanks to some really good expensive counseling. <laughs> and so now I look at it as I no longer was a suitable fit for the role in the sense of that role was holding me back from whatever was next, right? I had kind of outgrown that role. So this was in some weird way, forcing me into whatever was next. Yeah. What did you grow yourself into? Uh, I mentioned that today I'm the CIO of Hyperion. Hyperion at the time was, had just been, had just been founded. It was founded by uh, two friends of mine in the industry. One of them was uh, actually my, my boss's boss when I was working for Sprint in Arizona, I had known him for about nine years or so at the time. And uh, I worked with the other gentleman as well. So uh, those are the two founding partners. And I'd stayed in touch with these guys. Again, industry is small, right? You're in it long enough. You, you just kind of keep in touch with people and your paths cross from time to time, different events and meetings and things like that. So I had already kind of expressed to them an interest in joining whatever it was they were building. In a lot of ways, they were still trying to figure out what they were building, right? It's like, you know, we've got, you know, all this collective knowledge and we can do all of these things, but what exactly do we want to do type of a thing? I think it was the Monday after I called one of them and I said, uh, I got fired. I think it's time to accelerate our discussion and me working with you. And I thought that I was going to do that part-time and then go back and get a job somewhere else. Tried that for about four months. And ultimately I didn't get a job at the end of in the end of 2016. 
And so in this, in January of 17, I decided to go all in and just make it work. At the time we were a Sprint partner, again, back working with Sprint in a, in a partnership role. We really kind of carved out a niche for ourselves in becoming their top tier partner in helping them basically close more deals than they could close on their own, if you will. At the time, I was the sixth person to join that group. And over the last five years now, I've seen that company and helped grow that company to the 160, 165 employees that we have today. Wow, that's crazy. So like, how does it feel looking back? Did you even think that you could be part of a company and grow it to 165 employees? I've been part of a small company before, right? Uh, but never from the infancy like that. And it, I wasn't around at the infancy, infancy, right? But it's pretty close, you know? I don't think any of us, if you'd asked any of us at the time, if it would look like it does today, back then, I don't think any of us would have said, yes, we think it, it could be that. It was really six salespeople in a room, six highly successful salespeople in a room trying to figure out, again, how we were going to make money, what exactly we were going to do, and, and all of that. And I'm blessed, right? So I was in a sales role until uh, about right about a year ago, actually. And, and we, uh, our executive team or our lead team sat down in a room summer of 2020 and said, okay, what's next and where do we need to go? And, um, we knew that we would need to have people serving in additional leadership roles. We needed to add a, a CIO and we need to add a, a chief operating officer as well. How you guys just left the sales roles. So to move to the role that I'm in now as our chief information officer, we had sat down summer of 2020 and really evaluated what the company was going to need in order to be able to get to the next level. And we needed more people focused on operations and more people focused on systems. I moved into the role as our chief information officer and another gentleman moved into the role of our chief operations officer. It was the first time in almost 20 years that I stepped out of a sales role. Sales is all that I've known. And so here I am in this, you know, leading this really technical role with a background in sales. But what we, we could have done is we could have brought somebody in from the outside, right? We could have brought in an external CIO. Our thought process there, though, is that we would have had to have taken the next six to nine months really educating that individual on our company's operations and, and in some ways, maybe even our industry. And so by by moving me into that role, hopefully we've accelerated the evolution of our systems and the implementation of new systems because I already understand our industry, our processes and things of that nature. So that's how I sit here. I go from 20 years ago thinking that I wanted to be a you know orthopedic surgeon to nearly 20 years in a sales role in the wireless industry to now being the CIO of a mature and thriving company with uh, 165 employees that I didn't ever think would be this big. How was it transitioning to a non-sales role for the first time? I'm still figuring that out. I'll give you an example. In sales, if you go like close a big deal, right? You can get excited about that. 
or like, you know, you're, you know, you're at dinner with your wife or your family and she says, how was your day? You're like, I closed this big deal. And it's always, it's always been that way. Right. It's always, you know, that's how you kind of, you measured things in sales. Um, is that that doesn't exist for me anymore. If like, we've got some project we're working on and we've been struggling for three days to figure out like why, like a certain script or some code isn't working. Right. I can't sit down at the dinner table and say, Oh, well, you know, we finished our integration with this, that, and the other thing. Nobody gets excited about that other than like the people that were working on it. I can get excited that the team figured it out or the team can get excited that like they figured it out. Right. But like, you don't go have a celebration dinner because woohoo, all of a sudden your code works. So that's just, that's been a, a transition. And then honestly, like there's the financial side of things. So as a salesperson, you can kind of write your own paycheck. You want to make more money, you go sell more. I don't have that option right now, right? I can't go sell more. I'm not in a role that sells things right now. So yeah, candidly, that's, that's been a transition. I'm still figuring it out in a lot of ways, but uh, I'm still close enough to some of those functions that I can get excited when something big happens for them and, and things like that. It's just not me that's part of the everyday, if you will. That's always cool to know because, you know, we always transition with roles. What are some of the biggest mistakes you've made throughout your career? Caring too much. Mm, can you elaborate on that? Believing that if I'm committed to an organization that they're as committed to me, thinking that uh, not that they owe me something, right? But at the end of the day, they don't owe me anything more than like the paycheck that they promised me. And so a lot of times people can fall into not a trap, but they can fall into this mentality of feeling like, and this is terrible to say, right? Because a lot of companies want to build like this, like culture and this big, you know, morale thing. I mean, it's not terrible because look, if you don't make the budget and stuff, they're going to fire you and there's no way around it. Some of it's true, right? But if all of a sudden, like you think that you're part of something bigger, like unless you're working for like a nonprofit, right? And you're helping water to get water to people who, you know, don't have water or get food to people who don't have food or medical resources. Well, you're not really part of something bigger. Like, sorry, like don't, don't trick yourself. I probably gave too much of myself and stayed too long at places that I shouldn't have stayed thinking that I was part of something bigger. The other thing would be waiting too long to recognize that the value that I brought to an organization was unique and was not dependent on any pedigree that I maybe did or didn't have. Right. So I mentioned like having, you know, having that little snippet of where I was enrolled in school on my LinkedIn profile. I had it there for a long time because I felt like it was necessary. And it wasn't until like the last four years or so that I finally said, no, I don't need that anymore. Right. I've got nearly 20 years at this point of a history showing, you know, how successful I've been that I don't need to, to necessarily have that to validate how successful I either I am today or how successful I could be in the future. 
and it kind of just was my own internal thing that kind of held me back for a long time. Yeah, no, I mean, look, it's always about finding the right balance because I found it is very demoralizing when you're like part of something bigger and then you sort of realize you're not and that it's such a crushing feeling. I've seen it happen to so many people and then you really feel like, wow, you know, and you have to kind of understand this is something a lot of people go through. So, you know, thank you for sharing that. What is your biggest accomplishment? I personally, I'd say uh, I'm still married after 15 years. That's a big accomplishment. My biggest professional one is just having the courage to enter into something that's unknown. When I stepped into working with these five other guys, we weren't a startup that had just raised like a couple million dollars and everybody was taking a, you know, taking a salary from that last round. We've never raised money. This whole thing is entirely bootstrapped. Our two founders have, haven't taken a single dime. So biggest professional accomplishment is simply having the courage to step into the unknown and fight through that to get to a point where the unknown is a bit less scary now. That's important. Life is about unknowns. You don't know what's going to happen next month, next year, but you got to you gotta take those risks. What if it's such a bad, you know, I've seen some people like, what if I had done this? What if I had done that? But what if you didn't, though? What if you didn't? So like, like I have this quote on my wall here, right? The man in the arena. When that starts off, credit doesn't go to the critic, right? Yeah, it's not the critic who counts, right? Um, in the end, the triumph of high achievement and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly. Like, don't throw shade my way because I tried. Because I'd rather do it and then fail than not do it and regret that I never tried. I finally got okay with the fact that I could fail and I'd still be okay. For a long time, I wouldn't step into risking anything unless I was like 99% certain that there was a degree of success or a high degree of success. And it's just the perfectionist nature in me. I wouldn't step into it. Now, it's okay if I fail because, and, and part of that's the, the, the whole bit around me not being, being I, tying my identity to my professional like, success either, right? As soon as I got over that, I could fail all day long. And I knew that I was still me. It's a liberating and freeing feeling. Yeah, absolutely. What advice would you have to a high school kid now, you know, who sort of would want fail. to follow? Fail? Fail. Yeah. Try it. Fail. I tell everybody this, right? Whether they get out of high school, whether they've gone to school and gotten a degree, right? The biggest opportunity you have for failure is at this point in your life. It is the lowest degree of risk, right? So I, when I, when I got fired... I had a wife and three kids. I was the sole provider for our family. And I had two mortgages at the time. That's a high degree of risk. When you're 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, depending on if you, you, if you do decide to pursue a degree or not, right? But high school, you know, straight out of high school, right? There's not a lot that you are responsible for. So fail and fail quickly. Fail at as many things as you want to fail at. And then get as exposed to as many things as you possibly can. If I have new people who work for me who are relatively new in the workplace, right? I do my best to get them exposure to 
different departments, right? Operations, marketing, sales, finance, whatever the case may be, because it's important for them to have diversity so that they can really understand exactly what it is that they want to do. So try something, fail, and get exposed to as much stuff as you possibly can. If you think you want to work in a certain industry, go get a job in that industry. If that changes, go get another job in that second industry that you think you might want to get into. Gone are the days of people worried about job hoppers, right? You don't owe it to a particular company to work for them for the next 20 or 30 years. As soon as pensions stopped existing, we don't we don't owe anybody anything. You are as good as your next paycheck. So stick around until it's not time to stick around anymore, until you've outgrown or you are no longer a suitable fit for that role, and then move on. Yeah, no, I mean, that's great advice because I see people, and I've seen it all the time, where they're like, hey, I got to stick around until I finish this project. There was a project happening before you got hired. It's okay. It's really okay. And then what happens is something big happens, and then it's like, oh, I might lose my job. I was like, that project doesn't matter anymore. All these things don't matter anymore. So look, again, find the right balance. You always have to really think. You know, companies are in the business for themselves, and you're in the business for you. Find out where those things align and find out where they don't. It's as simple as that because I've just seen it happen time and time again. Thank you so much for your time. You know, you had so much great experience. I want to end it with this. Yeah. What are your future goals? I thrive off of learning things, learning new things. And I don't yet know what that next thing is going to be. It's about every two to three years that I start to get the itch for what's next. So I've been doing what I'm doing now for right of the year. So maybe we reconnect in, in a year or two years and I'll tell you what's next. But right now... It's nose down, right? Helping build a, a really great company to be what that's going to be next. We'll see. Something though. I'm still, I'm, I'm, I'm too young to, to yeah. step back. So. <laughs> so how would people connect with you? How would people support you, follow you? Uh, yeah, I mean, two best places to find me. Uh, uh, number one on LinkedIn, Randy M. Warner. I'm also on Instagram, Randy M. Warner. And then uh, I have a website, randymwarner.com. <laughs> so yeah, just uh the M's important. I don't know why. It's uh, as distinctive as my white spot on my chin. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, look, it looks good. It looks good, man. So keep rocking it. Thank you so much for your time. I know the listeners have gotten so much value. I know you're going to keep doing big things. And thank you for sharing your experiences. I know so many people can learn from it. Absolutely. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me on. Another great episode. Thank you for listening. Hopefully this information was valuable and you learned a lot. Stay tuned for the next episode. This show is sponsored by you. No Degree wants to remain free from influence so that we can talk about the topics without bias. If you think the show is worth a dollar or two, please check out our Patreon page. Any amount is appreciated and will go towards making future episodes even better. Follow us on Instagram or Snapchat at No Degree Podcast. On Facebook at facebook.com slash no degree inc. If you want to personally reach out to me, connect or follow me on LinkedIn at Janaid Iqbal, spelled J-O-N-A-E-D, last name I-Q-B-A-L. Until next time, no degree, no problem, nodegree.com. Yeah, so, you got no degree? No problem. No problem. Any problem, we can solve them. We got this. LinkedIn Somnia keeps us evolving, growing and knowing, wisdom is flowing, if you didn't know, now you know where I'm going, I'm going.
Nike didn't know Nike know. Let's sing that again, everybody. No degree, no problem. Any problem, we can solve them. LinkedIn insomnia keeps us evolving. We're growing in a knowing. The wisdom is flowing. If you didn't know, now you know where I'm going. No degree, no problem. Any problem, we can solve them. LinkedIn insomnia keeps us evolving. We're growing in the knowing. The wisdom is flowing. If you didn't know, now you know where I'm going.